Greetings, folks, and welcome to Gig Gab, episode number nine. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And in Las Gatas, California, Paul Kent. This is, of course, Gig Gab, the uh, podcast for working musicians by working musicians. It's actually for anyone. You don't, you don't have to be a working musician to listen, but that's who we are, or at least that's the hats we wear when we come to this table. I I've guess. actually gotten a couple people who are fans of my band who found out that I'm doing this and they downloaded it. And it's kind of weird because, you know, this is what we do is a little bit of a, a peek underneath the kimono, right? So, <laughs> you know... <laughs> Like we talk about things like, I guess today we'll talk about sit-ins and some of the things that are like, they kind of affect the audience, the the fan base. And so uh, it's interesting that, but the feedback has been great. I mean, they're, they're very interested in how we do what we do. So I guess the audience is a little wider, but you and I, we're still just talking to musicians, right? Well, we're, we're two musicians talking is what we are. And whoever wants to listen, wants to listen. You know, maybe you're somebody who wants to start a band. Maybe you're in a band. Maybe you want to join a band or maybe you're just a fan of bands and you want to know about how the sausage is made. Yep. There's nothing wrong with any of it. Right. I mean, that's the kind of the to me, that's the that's the beauty of podcasts in general is no one is forced to listen even accidentally. You throw it out there, you see what comes back. I like it. It's good. Do you have any gigs this weekend, Paul? Nope. Uh, off for Easter weekend. Uh, we have a, uh, a very rare in our schedule. We have a four week, three week break. And uh, like I said last week, we're just plowing ahead on new material. And then starting at the end of April, we just really start picking up quite a bit and uh, a lot of good stuff. I have got weddings and we got, you know, the festival start right. and, the, and the outdoor stuff. So this is kind of a nice little break, taking it easy, even taking next week off a rehearsal. One of my guys is out of town. And, uh, but then after that, it's pretty much pedal down and, uh, summer's coming. Well, that's time. Cool. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, to hearing your gig reports over the summer. I think that'll be, that'll be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, there's so much stuff and so many different types of audiences we play for. I mean, there'll be a lot of great stories, you know, funny things, things to learn from, sure. uh, good anecdotes. So yeah, we're going to, we're going to get going. It's going to be a lot of fun. Cool. Yeah, I had, uh, I guess, technically three gigs this week. We uh, Friday and Saturday, we did the last two performances and wrapped up Goblin Market, which was that theater production that uh, that I was part of. And actually, mm-hmm. they, they went well. Friday's was stellar. Friday's was absolutely the best show that, that we had in the run, cool. at least from at least from my perspective. And, you know, I'm behind a sheet. So what do I know? But uh, <laughs> but, but it went well. And uh, and then Thursday night, I played uh, with a band that we call Hamnesiac, uh, which started with the first three letters uh, or the first letter of each of the three of our last names. Uh, it's an acoustic uh, re- reform of fling uh, or acoustic three fifths of fling. I guess I should say uh, I, I play actually this time I didn't even bring congas. Usually for an acoustic gig, I bring congas, but this time I brought this little um, it's a tabletop size cajon with a uh, with a guitar strap on it from a company called Pitch Slap, so you have to be careful how you how, how quickly you say that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but it's fantastic being able to stand and play this thing and sing and and uh, and so I used that. That was the first I've used it kind of on and off with a with an acoustic gig or two in the past, but this is the first one I did with nothing else. Do you mic it? 
I did have a mic on my mic stand aimed at it. I, I probably will get a clip on mic or something to, to, you know, uh, to attach to it, but it, it worked just having to actually, I just put it aimed a 57 at it and, and that was great. Uh, it worked, you know, gave it enough, but kind of in the, in the mix, but it's pretty loud as it is. Um, those things can get pretty loud. So I use that. And then, uh, Russ plays guitar and sings a little bit. And Aaron brought his keyboard and, uh, he sings quite a bit too. And we had, a, we had a good crowd. It was a fundraiser for a, an organization called zebra crossings that creates summer camps for kids with like allergies and, and asthma and things like that. And really kind of frees them up and lets them do things that, uh, other people might tell them they should. Ah, nice. Yeah. yeah, it's cool. Yeah. So we raised, or they, I say we, we didn't do anything. We just were, you know, three knuckleheads in the corner playing music, but, um, but they raised a now, ton you, of money. Yeah, go ahead. Do you do you take um, do you take fling songs and just do them acoustic, or have you actually worked up uh, material specifically for this format? Both. Um, yeah, we certainly take a bunch of the tunes that we do in fling that that work acoustic and and do it um, do them that way. But uh, but there's a few that that we only done that way. But they might wind their way up into fling too. So it's not there's no hard wall in there. It's you know tunes that we know and. In fact, we might take, I told you we learned uh, AHA's take on me for this gig, which went really well. And we've got a fling rehearsal tomorrow night. So we'll probably. And, and you hit that. that note. Yeah. So <laughs> I did some research on that, which I shouldn't have done. The, uh, that falsetto note is actually the, uh, an E5, E6, right? Yeah. C4, C5, E6. So uh, three E's above middle C, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that one's actually not hard for me that it's, that's right in my falsetto range. It's no trouble. The, the, the problem is the note before that, which is, uh, the, the a right, right below that, you know, a fifth below that, um, I can hit the G sharp, which is the note right before the a, but that a is, I got to push, um, and really just right on right your break. It's right in my break. It, that's exactly it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, but it makes it I think for a lot of fun yeah. for a lot of guys. That's, that's probably, that's a tough transition note. Yeah. 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 It's, and, but you know, I can hit it if I'm really warm uh, and I go into my kind of my, my chest voice, I can hit it. Um, and so I did. So, you know, that, yeah. that a is actually the money note in, um, Oh, darling. Right. That's correct. Which most, which most people would think of as like, a you know, you need all of your breath and really revved up for it. But uh, there's a friend of mine who I do acoustic gigs with. And he said, you know, the deal with that is like a lot of things, it's all about aiming the note. It's all about where you feel the vibration in your throat and in, in your head. Cause it's, you, for most people, it's a head voice. Yep. It's a head voice note, but um, again, not a trained singer, but kind of picking up these little bit of techniques from different people, but that concept of breaks and how to get through breaks, it's been a really interesting thing. We probably should do an episode a whole time just on, you know, how, how non singers learn to sing. Yeah. Cause it, because that's, that's often the case with rock and roll singers, especially somebody like me. I mean, I, I sing more and more leads nowadays, but, um, but I, you know, my, I'm much, if, if I were to join a band and they would, they would say, you know, what's your preferred role uh, in terms of being able to use your vocals, it would be harmonies because I can hear every note in the chord and you know, my, my theory is pretty good and, and I can always blend a, a harmony. So that, that I'm much better with that, but leads I can, you know, whatever I can sing. Them did you learn, to. did you learn drums and theory at the same time? Did you learn theory on another instrument first or did you learn drums first? Yeah. So my first instrument 
was piano. Uh, and I played that for about three years before I started playing the drums. So I was maybe 10 or 11. So I wasn't learning theory at the time, at least not intentionally learning theory. Right. Uh, I was just learning how to play piano. And then I shifted to the drums or started the drums and I, I never gave up on piano, but I stopped taking lessons when I started taking drum lessons and, um, and, and played drums all the way through middle school and high school and a little bit in college and and it was in college where I really started to dig into theory. I took um, a bunch of theory courses and then kind of re-picked up piano because you kind of had to take piano when you were taking these theory courses. And did that, you do ear training? Oh, yeah. And I did sight singing, too, um, which was, yeah, that man, that's <laughs> I, I had my my first sight singing lab for that. The first semester of sight singing lab was eight o'clock uh, on Monday and Wednesday mornings. Oh God, 20 minutes on the other side of campus. So, but I'll tell you what, you know, what you learn to do is you learn to hit the note. However is possible for you, right? Cause you're not warm. There's no way I was going to be warmed up, but you know, you learn to just jump to a falsetto just to hit the note. And, and you really do, you learn your intervals and, and all of that stuff. It's, it's a valuable, really valuable skill. Absolutely. And, and it, I mean, it, you know, it serves me very well these days. So yeah. It's always really interesting to me um, when you play with drummers who are schooled musicians, theory, you know, everything. And, and I, I come across them more often than I would have thought because you think about drummers and, you know, you think about people learning about time and, you know, dexterity and all those types of things. But when you have a drummer who really understands music, you know, the fundamentals of music, the theory of music, their place in the band is a very, very, very different thing. It's not just about time. You know, there's a lot of effect and there's a lot of subtlety that comes when a drummer is a schooled musician. Now, not that not that you can't be that, not that you can't affect you know a lot of these things if you haven't formally trained. But um, uh, you know, I've known a few drummers in my time who you know their their you know degrees in music or whatever it is. Sure. And it's it's a very very interesting perspective that they bring to things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we've talked about it. The drummer is in a in a sense kind of the you know holding things together or at least keeping a watchful eye over everything that's happening on stage it drives the bus. Right. Right. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, so, uh, um, so what was I going to say? Did I, did I, I, I think I went through everything I had about the gig. Well, you might come back to it, but yeah, it was good. Right. It was good. You know, it's, I, I like doing these acoustic gigs. Um, like you've said, keep the, the volume low. And so you can really hear harmonies and, and really work on singing stuff and, um, it, you know, it strips it down, which I, when I, when I do them, I love them. But if I do like three or four in a row, then I get, you know, antsy. I'm like, wait, 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 I want, you know, electric guitars and I want to, you know, a full set of drums. Let's go. <laughs> I think whenever MTV started these um, unplugged things and you started to see bands performing their material and just, you know, either unique takes on their material, that stuff always was crazy inspiring to me. So, you know, guys playing acoustic basses or, you know, just everybody bringing the volume. I mean, even, you know, Pearl Jam, Nirvana, those unplugged sessions are fascinating to me. They're just so cool. You know, you get different uh, emotions. In the, the, the singers are emoting differently over the songs. I just love all this. What do you think that started? I mean, that's been actually quite a while. MTV started doing unplugged. I would say not long after it started in the eighties. Yeah, that's true. Um, I'm trying, I'm looking here to see, but yeah, that, that was 1989 was the original airing of MTV unplugged. Got it. Yep. 
But I mean, all that stuff, I mean, the first one for me, when um, I heard uh, the secret policeman's other ball and I heard um, Pete Townsend doing uh, Won't Get Fooled Again acoustic. So this song that's bigger than life song, you you know, and if you have no reference and all of a sudden to hear him playing those riffs and interpreting this this rock and song on an acoustic guitar, that was that was amazing to me. That kind of I think that's the first one I can remember really just blowing my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you can, I mean, you can, you can have a lot of energy pouring out of you. In fact, we played, um, we played pinball wizard the other night, acoustic, which is a fun one. Yeah. It works really well. And, uh, and, and when we finished it, actually the organizer of the party came up and she said, can you, can you turn down a little bit? And and (laughs) so, so I had to say, you know, I said into the mic, which she loved, I said, I just want everybody to know, you know, uh, it doesn't matter if you're full electric or acoustic, Anytime you play a who song, you know, you know, you've succeeded if the uh, person in charge comes and asks you to turn down. And that's just exactly what happened. That's <laughs> which, cool. Which was awesome. Yeah. No, you're right. It, you get to you get to dig into the songs and, and hear them a little bit differently. Sometimes it's yeah. good. Sometimes it's not good. You know, some songs don't work in an acoustic environment, even tunes that you think would, you know. But um, but then but then there's the nice surprises, things that, that work really well. So. Yeah. Well, I you know, I know we we held a. um like a, 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 like a, a contest, you know, where people came up, it was a acoustic music contest here. Me and a couple of my friends who we perform, we just wanted to kind of like get the scene going in this area. So we hosted this uh, acoustic music concert contest. And um, what I found was a lot of rock musicians would come and they would play their rock songs but they would play, you know, bar chords up and down mm. the neck of the guitar and a guitar, you know, it, that's when it didn't work great for me. You know, when you're not really hearing the resonance of a guitar strings ringing out and you're just, you know, kind of using, you're just replacing an electric guitar with acoustic guitar. You're not really, you're not really doing the genre any favor. And so you're right. I mean, not all songs work uh, if you just want to port them from rock. And that was that thing about that Townsend thing. I mean, he, he found an acoustic guitar voicing for won't get fooled again. And it right. still blows me away. One of my favorite things to listen to still. I got to go check it out. I, I'm, I, I can't re- recall if I've seen that, but now you've inspired me. I got to go find it. Yeah. Go check it out. That's the beauty of things today. Everything's still available. So, yep. Hey, uh, so we, we got a question and I don't have it right in front of me, but I can easily paraphrase it. Uh, and, and, it, and that was, What's the worst or at least at the moment, most memorable train wreck uh, either of you guys has ever had on stage? And uh, I, I actually have two that come to mind, but I, I want to, but I, I'm curious what you've got, Paul. So train wrecks are, there's a couple of uh, categories of train wrecks from me and I am the source of these things. So <laughs> I don't know what happens. Sometimes I look down at a set list to see what the next song is. I acknowledge what the next song is and I start to play the song after that. So I, there's some freezing that happens on occasion where I know I've got, I don't know what the next song of the set is going to be. I look down to the set list. I read the set list and yet I still go one song too far. You know, whether I, I, you're kind of grokking, Oh yeah, that song. And you, you just blank out a little bit. So this has caused a lot of interesting things. I count off most of the songs for the house rockers. Oh. And so, you know, if the guys or, and I start a lot of the songs for the house rockers. So uh, if my count is, is weird for the song that it's supposed to be, the looks that go around stage are actually pretty funny. Sometimes that would be a good outtake video, but um, calling out, calling off, counting off the wrong, wrong song. That's something that I have done more than a couple times on occasion. 
And it, over the years, it's kind of funny. I don't know if my band is actually prepared for this because they seem to be getting and or or maybe it's just we've been playing these songs so long. Sure. Some of them that they're ready to go on. I counted off the wrong Earth, Wind and Fire song the other day and the horns just hit it and we just went with it. And I didn't even realize it did the wrong thing. But the guys at the break put their arms around me and said, dude, you're killing us. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so that would be one category. We had one the other day. So, and it goes like this. I write set lists and I try to clump groups of songs together. Maybe it's one or two, maybe it's three or four. And in some sections of our show, it could be five, six, seven songs that are clumped together. And the way I do it is on our set list, you know, there's this first song. And if the song underneath it is indented, it means that we're going to transition between songs really quickly. Sure. So this might be, you know, something like holding out the last chord of a song as we finish it, just hold that chord until I count in the next one or just be prepared for a quick turn. Like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So if a song ends on a hard stop, you know, you go right into the other one. So we had, we had a a weird one uh, where I grouped together some songs uh, that I hadn't grouped together before. And, we were just catching our momentum in the show. So, you know, all of a sudden the dance floor was getting pretty full. People were getting into it. The band was starting to sound really good. And we were transitioning from one song to the next song. And, uh, and our drummer looks down and usually I count off this song. Uh, but the keyboard player started to play the riff instead of the count off. The drummer kind of looked down and he did a riff that sounded suspiciously like another song by the same artist. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That's so everybody's the of a train wreck right there. Yeah. Well, there we go. And so, you know, now we're assuming that, you know, that there's a senior moment about to happen. Right. Right. And then we just kind of wait and go like, Nope, not that one. And then he looks down again and he plays the same riff that is unusually like the starting riff of another song by the same artist. And so anyway, we stopped, you know, like dudes, you know, let's get it together. I think we said a couple things. The audience, you know, was like, Oh, you know, the boys are, uh, are hit a bump in the road. And, uh, and well, finally we got it, we moved on. But that incident was a really weird thing because, uh, the drummer actually, you know, addressed the band. He goes, guys, I knew exactly what I was playing. And, you know, my bad for choosing a riff to start, but we, we weren't starting this next song the way we usually start it. Paul usually counts that off and you guys are looking at me. So I just picked a riff to try and bridge the two songs. Uh, he goes, so everything was different about this. And so even though I've written these set lists, you know, now hundreds and hundreds of times, the grouping of songs and the, and the flow of things, no, no two shows of ours are ever the same, but you know, how songs start and end have a little bit of familiarity. Sure. And so, this one, and it just happened the other day. So, you know, the worst before that, you know, either you start the wrong song or, you know, someone starts a song in a wrong key or something like that. I think everybody goes through this, but this was an unusual one in that it was, you know, we were a pretty oiled machine by this time and a bunch of assumptions about how we were going to bridge from one song to the next happened, And, uh, and it caused a, you know, this massive train wreck where we were assuming someone else, everybody, you know, like we, poor Joe, you know, we thought it was a senior moment. And he's like, and he actually addressed the band at the next rehearsal. He's like, guys, you know, here's the thing. I want to be very, very, very specific about this. I knew exactly what was going. I may have chosen the wrong riff to start that confused you guys, 
but there was no senior moment happening here and I was ready to play. So again, you know, the drummer, the drummer just driving the bus and saying, here's the thing, you know? And uh, again, it's the leader's job. So my bad on that, I own that a hundred percent. My bad to think through when I'm grouping the songs together, you know, what is the implication of a transition from a hard stop song who counts off the next song? You know, uh, you know, and if something else goes wrong, how to mitigate that. And actually, you know, there was a little bit of tension on stage for this one. Sure. Uh, We, you know, we got through it, but, you know, that was uh, that was a a little bit uncomfortable. Um, But we all learned a lot from that. Mostly me. I mean, everybody knew, you know, Joe's driving his own bus. He definitely was was in control of his show. And so that was that was cool. But, um, yeah, it's about the grouping of songs, the transition of songs, that's been that was uh, that was one of the worst train wrecks. That was, and it was just recently. That's kind of interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, I, you know, I um, it's it, it, what's it, what's even more interesting to me is how much uh, uh, afterthought you gave it, right? Because I've always been of the the school, especially if if it's not the first time you're trying. If it's the first time you're trying something and there's some weirdness with it, clearly it's worth talking about. But if it's something you've been doing for a while. And there's just one of those anomalies where things just don't go right for whatever reason. I often find it's best to completely ignore it because you know how to do it right. You've done it right a million times. You did it wrong once. Uh, you know, it's like practicing. You're you're better off practicing perfectly. And and, and actually studies have been done on this, right, where it, it it's not just spending an hour practicing. It's spending an hour and making sure that most of that hour you play the part right and 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 it's the percentage of times that you play it right versus wrong that that cements it correctly in your head. And the same is true with this with me for the band. It's like if it's just a one time thing, forget it. Don't even talk about it, because uh. all you're going to do is think more about it the next time you come to that transition in the show. If it's if, again, if it's brand new, that's a different story. But if it's something you already know how to do, leave it alone. There's no egos. You know what I mean? And that's that's always been my philosophy. We had that the other night with um, with uh, what was it? Oh, we started uh, we, we were playing. Let's spend the night together. And it, exactly the wrong time. Russ hit the wrong chord on the guitar and that threw Aaron off. And so we never went into that kind of, you know, drop out acapella bridge. And then we all sort of had to look at each other like, all right where are we in the song now? Right. (laughs) Like how do we navigate from here while we're singing and playing and pretending like everything's okay to an end that makes sense. And we got there and after the show, we started to talk about it and it was like, yeah, whatever. It's fine. We've, we've done it times. (laughs) Don't, don't like this is, this is more thought than I ever should have given it anyway. Even talking about it here is probably a bad idea because I'll, you know, I'll obsess about it the next time we get to that point. Well, so this is interesting because let's extract the whole thing. So one of the reasons that this was a thing that we did talk about it more is like we weren't playing that great up until that point. Mm. Right. So so we weren't quite in our groove. And, uh, you know, a couple of brain farts, you know, a couple of couple of weird things. And, you know, we weren't you know, the, the performance wasn't going great. And we had just started to get our groove. Yeah, so this is like pretty, you know, maybe maybe four or five songs into the second set or something like that. And, uh, and then, you know, it was frustrating that, that we had just gotten in the groove and something was felt like it was derailing us again. And then, so to your point, this is about, um, um, the unwritten rule that the audience should never see anything on stage. 
right? Right. This is, this is, and so, so the lesson here, and this was the lesson that kind of came out of it. And I got to say, you know, Joe addressed the band. He was like, guys, here's the thing. I can understand why you think what happened happened, but I'm assuring you that it didn't, which everybody was, you know, obviously, you know, if he said it, of course we're going to accept that. Sure. But, um, but uh, it was a, a stark reminder that even as long as we've been together and even as well as we know each other and even as many wars that we've you know, won together, you know, you got to remember that when things go south on stage in any way, shape or form, remember where your head is and remember that everybody's hearing everything and watching everything and observing everything. So it was a very, very powerful reminder that even though we think we're pretty good, um, we remind ourselves that, you know, how we get through and, and Joe was amazing because he was given these kind of sports team analogies, right? He was like, even if something goes South, how we react to it says as much about us as what we do about it. And it's, uh, as it reminded us we're on, we're a team, we're on stage together. We're, we're, we're conquering things together. We're making people happy with music together. And so the big story of this was, you know, tough night, weren't quite in sync, started to get in sync, derailed. And the disappointment of that moment of derailing, did we handle it as well as we could have? The answer is no. And we learned from it. And I, it actually probably is going to make us a better band sure. for this year because it was a big enough thing that we actually we took time in in uh, in rehearsal that Joe wanted to talk about it. Right. Yep. So um, we learned a lot about it. And, uh, you know, that concept of professionalism, the stages stage on stage is holy time. You know, everything you do, every raise of an eye, every uh, we, we call it the stink eye. You know, yeah. if a guy hits a clam, you know, do you, you how subtle are you about uh, acknowledging it with a wink as opposed to with a, you know, something a little bit more yeah. unnerving. Throwing a right? stick at him. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, totally. I don't know. Totally. So it, 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 it again, it's interesting. We had. I'm sure in the All-Stars, we actually had many, many moments where things never went, didn't go exactly as as prepared. I mean, we we played one rehearsal, you know, a, a year for for the, the, you know, for each gig. But I remember one um, and, and it sounds like, you know, a scenario where like, you know, like this one, where if, if we did do a debrief, we would have had one of the guys in this case, it would have been Dwayne. I'll explain the story, but would have been telling us, no, no, no. Here's why I did what I did. Um, and it doesn't matter because, uh, what happened was we were playing that cure tune just like heaven. And I played the drum fill into it and I played the drum fill in a, I played it wrong. Right. I mean, I, I played it in a way that I was used to playing it with a different band, but it's, it's wrong. Dwayne is one of these guys that learns songs like exactly like the record. And, uh, and so Dwayne starts playing the, the bass line, as though I played the drum fill right. And so now we're all a half a beat off from each other. <laughs> okay. And Chris and I noticed this, you know, and we noticed it with Dwayne and Dwayne kind of noticed it too. And Dwayne is, and, and now, you know, Brian's in playing his, his guitar and uh, Brian, Chris and I are together and Dwayne is Right. Right. You know, in, in terms of where I started the tune and related to how it was played on the record by the cure, Dwayne is right. But the rest of us are a half a beat off from him. And we're all looking at Dwayne like, you got to come with us, man. It doesn't matter that you're right. We will all sign a paper that says you're right. <laughs> but in this very moment, 
you are in the minority and that makes you wrong, right? You know, when, when there's one of those moments on stage, that's a train wreck. You have to join the band, even if you were absolutely right in what you did. So true. You know, yeah, I, I bet every band has that guy, the guy who learns things to the letter of, of the original, right? I every band we're has, all, we're all that guy at times. Really? Okay. I mean, but, but some more than others, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I tend to be less often that unless it's a part of a song that is really important to me. Right. So I, you know, right. I'm not a tribute band guy that, you know, has to get the, the, the essence of every breath correctly. You know, I, I, I want to get through the songs portraying the spirit of the song, not sure. the letter of the song, sure. but you know, yeah. there are parts of every song. Yep. And, and actually I, I'm going to tease you a little bit because I thought you were going to bring up, you know, our, uh, because the night, uh, uh, mishap. Oh yeah. I screwed that up too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. But then I screwed it up by letting everybody in the world know that you screwed <laughs> it up true. by, by jumping up on your drum riser and, uh, and tackling me. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And for the kids out there, not the right way to go about things. No. <laughs> and, and, and once you've done that once, uh, really not a good idea to come back and tackle the drummer again later. He'll be ready. Yeah. Well, he'll be ready. <laughs> yeah. He'll also start scratching his head. Like exactly what is going on here and how mad is everybody on stage at the moment? <laughs> Where's this gig actually going to go with exactly. 800 people in the room? Yeah. 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 And a video yeah. streaming to however many thousand people were watching. So yeah, that was just for fun. Yeah. <laughs> that was an interesting moment. <laughs> so Yeah. You know, the being right, uh, that's, and you think that's a chemistry thing where a guy knows he's the only one who's right, but he's still listening and, you know, understands, or do you think that's a, that's a experience thing? Probably experience. Don't you think? It is. It definitely is experience. Yeah. Yeah. The, the right is relative. Um, I think is the, is the proper way to, to look at that because it's, it's all about serving what's happening in the moment. And, uh, you know, it's not like you're in the studio and you're going to stop and fix it and, you know, go back. There's no going back, you know, although it is funny, you know, like, and I remember that now that you bring it up, the looks that go around stage as you feel the train wreck coming over you. Right. And then figuring out, okay, who it, it takes a little while to realize that X amount of people on stage are in sync. And, you know, there's one guy to figure out who the one guy is, you know, it, Right. Because you're waiting for someone to lock onto your groove. Sure. But then everybody else in the rhythm section, as they're adding it to the song, is jumping in and placing their bets. You know, it's like it's like when you come to a train wreck part. My experience is, is that your mind goes to, okay, well, if this is happening, what else bad is going to happen? Like, you know, like if, if he doesn't know this part, what other assumptions is is musician X going to make? you know, at other tricky parts of the song. And then you start playing out. Well, if he does this, I have to be ready to do this or, you know, so it's, it's, that's, that's the essence of a train wreck is when you start in your mind, trying to anticipate, you know, a player isn't doing something that he's done a hundred times or, you know, it's the first time to do it. And, you know, he's not as prepared as you thought he was not as well rehearsed as you thought he was. Then you start going through your mind saying, okay, I wonder, you know, where, where the, the next weird thing is going to happen. And then you amplify that by the number of people on stage. That's right. That is the making of a train wreck. It is. So I, I was, you know, as I was thinking about this question, um, I was trying to think of how many times I've experienced a, a train wreck where the song had to stop. And I really think I can only count 
two. And one of them we shared. And I believe, in fact, I'm certain it was not our first gig with the All-Stars together, but the first Cirque du Mac show was at that. uh, uh, Oh, no. Yeah. The first Cirque du Mac show, which would have been in San Francisco at the uh, uh, Chi Chi was the name of the restaurant. Right. Or the name of the bar, whatever it was. And uh, and we tried to play the Kiss tune, Rock and Roll All Night. Oh, yeah. And that song is weird. I, we play it in fling and it, and when, when Russ brought it in, I was like, Oh, wait a minute. You know, this is not as easy as you think. And it really isn't because there's it. it I mean, it's in straight four, but there's a lot of syncopated stuff that you just don't realize is happening until you, until you try to play the song. Um, it's hard to play simple. Yeah. Well, and this one's got, you know, like I said, it's got these weird syncopated offbeat things that sound like they're on the beat, but they're not. And if you're not paying attention, it comes off the rails and will not go back on. There's right. just no way. Um, and I had never played the song before. I knew the song. I'd heard the song, but I'd never played it before. And so I didn't have, you know, three dozen, you know, performances of it in me to say, okay, here's where we just need to start up the steamroller and drive and everybody will join me, you know, that kind of thing to keep it together. And it, I don't even think we got through the first verse, man. Uh, and it just was clear that this was a non-starter. But uh, we had made it through in rehearsal somehow and, you know, it just went fine. And so we didn't spend a lot of time on it and we got on stage and it we definitely didn't make it to the end of the song. I don't even know that we made it to a chorus. Well, this was like every time we tried to attempt a Ramon song, right? But we Simple. made it through them. It wasn't, Some of them not. Well, Some right, of them, but we never aborted one on stage in performance time. Fair enough. Right. I will say this. This is where a good leader shines, right? Yep. It's actually, to me, not as big a sin. I heard Paul McCartney do it, you know, stop his band and restart. It's not as big a sin. It is that moment where the audience, you can kind of break that veil. Yep. And if you do it with confidence, a little self-effacing humor, it, you know, it is it is not a big deal at all. Right. Right. Maybe it's a, you know, maybe it's a big deal if it's a, if it's a tribute band or you got, you know, someone coming to see your band for a, another gig, but how, how a leader and how a band reacts to that moment says everything about the band's professionalism. Absolutely. It I mean, happens. If, if it's happening every song, then you clear. I mean, that says one thing. If it happens one song out of, you know, whatever, five, 10 gigs, uh, that says another, you know? Yeah. And you're right. It's how you handle it. And then you just move on and, and right. okay, that's in the past. We're not going to change it. Here's what we are going to do. And I did, I'd had the, my favorite uh, train wreck moment was, a gig I did in college, it was a frat party. We were the last band to play. It was at a, a fraternity house that had a big, big field uh, behind it. And we played on the porch of this house. And there there were easily 2,000 people there. Um, and they had been there all day drinking, right? So it was a really rowdy crowd when we got there. And they were all happy to see us. We were the headliner band for this thing, Right. We get there and we're hanging out in the house and, and then there's another band before us and, um, and, and then they finished. And so we, you know, brought our gear out on stage and they had uh, PA and, and monitors and stuff. And so it was fine, but it was, you know, it, you could tell the energy was like, okay, this could get weird at any moment. And it's not that they're against us. It's that they're too drunk to do anything, you know, uh, responsible at this point. And so we're playing, and bottles, occasionally bottles are like flying and, and coming near the stage. Ooh. And yeah. And, uh, and that's not cool. Right. And so I said to our singer after one song, or I mean, we'd played a few songs, but after we finished one, I, I said to him, I said, man, if another bottle hits the stage, I'm out of here. You know, this is not cool. 
And he's like, no, 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 man. You know, we got to just finish the gig. This is, you know, they're paying us a lot. And, and, and this is important. We're the headliners here. This is a good thing for us. And he's trying to talk me off the ledge. And I'm like, man, no, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm at my limit. This is not safe. And, uh, and so we start the next tune and as we're playing, I don't know why, but I looked to my right and I had these two monitor speakers that were kind of on a table and it was a big, big monitor. You know, this is long before I started using in-ears or anything. And uh, so these speakers were up pretty, you know, higher than me sitting down. And I look over and I see one of the speakers toppling at me. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. And thankfully, I saw it, you know, and so I just I obviously stopped playing right in the middle of the song. And I turned and grabbed the speaker. Now, uh, at the at that same moment, our guitar player saw it was happening. So he started kind of running over to, you know, help peel this thing off of me because I was just holding it. And our obviously our singer was aware of the fact that I had stopped playing and he thought I had stopped because of what I told him I was going to do, which was if a bottle hit the stage, I was going to stop. And he turned around with fire in his eyes. I mean, I'll never forget the look in his face and how quickly it changed when he saw the predicament that I was in holding up this speaker. And he was like, yeah. oh, let me, let me help you. And so we, you know, we got it straightened out and, and, and we kind of, you know, made fun of it and then started the next song. And halfway through that tune, a bottle hit the stage and Jeff turned around our singer and said, that's it. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> and we left. And that was the end of the gig. <laughs> yeah. Funny. Yep. But, um, but yeah, I will say was, this about the, the stopping of songs. Um, this is a thing where leaders, there needs to be an agreement in the band that only the leader can stop a song. Right. Sure. I, in my opinion. Right. So, you know, I've had, you know, different guys get off to a bad start in a song and then, you know, and then the, you know, the train wreck begins, but, um, it's a very weird thing and a, and kind of a, a, an unsettling thing. You know, if, if the, if the bass player just says, stop, 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 you know, let's start it again. Or the drummer says, right. It's a very, right. uh, because the thinking that goes into that is what kind of throws me off is like, so, so you're going to take this second and you're going to, you're going to assert a leadership decision. Are, are you doing this in other places? You know what I mean? Yep. I do. I totally do. So, so I think that that's like one lesson is like the leader should be the only one who can stop the song. He should use that, that power, you know, uh, thoughtfully, you know, and not wait to freak the rest of the band out before he makes a decision to do it. Sure. And so be in control of the song, but the stopping of a song and then the recovery of it, how you communicate it to the audience and how you get back into the, you know, the song again, this is a place where following the leader is a very good idea. I think a lot of bands out there actually, they do leadership by committee and I think that that's a tough one, you know, even you though we're saying you can't, you can't, you can't. You can't on stage off stage, uh, you know, however you want to run your band is fine. And if you want to make decisions democratically, uh, that can work. I, I, I believe that I, I believe that it can't work in every band um, and with every group of people, but with the right group of people being democratic or mostly democratic about it is fine. But rarely do all the members desire to have the same amount of control. Right. And, and, and that's just another thing is that you get, I mean, everybody's wired differently, right? There's people like you and me that sort of, you know, will just naturally grab the reins, uh, whether, whether we're supposed to or not, uh, but, that, but that's okay. But there's, there's also people that are just happy to be there and play and, 
uh, and don't want that. But it but it doesn't matter when you're on stage. There needs to be it needs to be a benevolent dictatorship, right? Where there is the one person that is in charge from the moment you step on the stage to the moment you leave the stage. And and that can be a you know, if you don't grok that or if someone even if you do grok that and someone for whatever reason, like you said, decides to step over that line and exert, you know, step into the leadership role when it's not expected. That can be really interesting. I had a gig where a um, thing there were some weird things happening in in succession and uh, our bass player got pissed and just packed up his bass and walked off stage. Oh my gosh. Right in the middle of a song. He apologized afterwards and you know, he's like, I know that wasn't cool. And, and it was, you know, it's like, Hey, look, we all get one, you know, it's fine. We, we, we let it go. But, um, but in the moment it was like, what the heck is going on here? I thought he broke a string or something. And then he just left. I was like, no, that's not what happened. He's pissed. What happened? Um, it was a whole weird uh, evolution of, of things that some of it was with, in terms of how the venue was treating things. And some of it was, uh, it was, it was a a far longer story than, than it's worth getting into, but it was enough things that that we were all sort of unsettled about the, the, the way the night was proceeding and the the way we realized it was going to wrap up. But, you know, we were going to play this one last song and that was going to be that. Um, and, and he, uh, he decided he had had one two one one issue too many, and that was it. He was pissed. Wow. And he left. Everybody yeah. gets one. Yeah, we, yeah, right. I mean, listen, we're all going to have those moments where it's like, you know, we're, we are a band together, and and we're all going to screw up, and sometimes those screw ups are going to happen in you know more public ways than others. But we're all here for each other, you know. So you got to remember that. You do have to remember that. Yeah, it, it's important. And and it's hard to know. It's much easier at however old I am, forty three, to see that than uh, I than it was when I was say twenty. Um, and I I I definitely got involved in torpedoing projects because of of single incidences like that. Um, it is a team sport, and that's what makes it so good. I mean, the, yeah. it is. You're right. You learn this. Some people, I think, probably intuitively have that sense of it. But um, the concept that, you know, the guy you're making music with is on your team is it's really kind of a sacred thing. I mean, and it makes the music better if you can get there. Yeah. But, you know, what's interesting. And I I mean, I coach that rock band club at at the high school. And now I know we have to have this conversation with them. But um, rarely do rock musicians get coaching like like kids playing a team sport would get right i mean there's there's actual coaching that goes into explaining to you that you're on a team and you got to rely on that guy and all of this right and and you've got some sort of mentorship that that's happening there that doesn't happen for most rock musicians you have to learn it you know the hard way like i think a good leader brings it and he you know he sets the vibe for it and he um he sets the expectation for it because a good leader with the wisdom to do that but what happens when you're 14 and you're in a band and and everybody's uh, 14 in a band. It, it, you know, th- nobody has that wisdom to see that or rarely. Fair enough. Right. That, that, that's my point. Yeah. At this point, absolutely. In our lives. Sure. Somebody better bring that. Everybody should bring that by this point. But when you're 14, I'm not, you know, I, I certainly didn't. I didn't when I was 20. Yeah. Well, e- even at the other end though, I mean, 
yeah, this is a creative endeavor. Uh, most people are, who are musicians are pretty hard on themselves. They want to, they want to bring their best. They, they don't want to, they don't want to embarrass themselves. They, you know, have a, a feeling that they're going for that they're trying to get out through their interpretation of music. And, you know, you don't want to let your bandmates down. I think anyone who's been in a band for a while wants to hold up his end of the bargain type of thing. So they understand this goes hand in hand with what we were talking about last week about the management of a band and yeah. understanding that this is a creative endeavor. How do you pull, and this goes all the way back to train wrecks. How do you pull it back together when things are not going well on stage? How do you find that moment where, where you, you recover from a train wreck, the band gets back on stage. And I will give you this. I think I've mentioned before once or twice that I happen to be a Bruce Springsteen fan. Have I said that before? Yeah, just once. I, I, right. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't know it if you hadn't said it again. I, I, can, right, I, well, I had forgotten. I'm a giver, so I'll just, I'll just remind you from That's time to time. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he has one of the, the greatest lines about managing a band that I've ever heard. And what he says is, you have to remember that at the same time, it's the most important thing you could be doing in the world and the most frivolous thing you can be doing in the world. Think about that for a second. You're playing music. It is the most important thing in the world, but it's not, you know, we're, you're not at war digging a guy out of a foxhole. You're not saving lives. Keep, you keep it in the, yeah, no one's going to die. If a wrong note happens, if you restart a song yep. and you balance those two things to me, that's the essence of rock and roll professionalism. That's the essence of understanding. We're out there to give people a great moment in time, help them forget about whatever bad is going on in their life. If a train wreck happens, conceptualize it. So it's be the it. most important yeah. thing and the most frivolous thing you can be doing with your time. I think that's a perfect place to wrap this episode up, man. I'm with you. Yep. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. Uh, Paul, we're going to have, I got to, we'll, we'll sort out when we're recording next week's show. I'm going to be in Vegas for, uh, for NMX and AB, whatever that episode or whatever that, that show is, but we may still be able to make this work. I just got to sort out my schedule and I'll, I'll get with you and we'll, we'll tweet about when that's when, you know, when we can make this happen. So. All right. And tell everybody where they can find us for feedback. We're starting to get a couple of comments and things, which are nice emails, but uh, you guys can find us, Dave. Feedback at giggabpodcast.com is the email address to send in whatever you want to send us. And we would love, love, love to have you go into the iTunes store and review us like interested 777 did. By saying, excellent podcast. Paul and Dave take listeners inside their bands, full of great discussion for all musicians. Gig Gab is also fascinating for those interested in everything that goes into a band. Paul and Dave pull the curtains back for the listener discussing, discussing all kinds of things that, uh, that uh, this person actually goes on to list. The business promoting everything. I'm subscribed and looking forward to each new episode. I'll bet you will be too. So we would love to hear your feedback out there. And those, those, that iTunes feedback makes a big difference for all of us. Uh, really helps gain some exposure for the show. So please do it. We would, we would absolutely see it. So. Thank you everybody for listening. I, the, the number of downloads seems to be going up every week. So I think uh, we're telling a good story here and people seem to be enjoying it. So we're going to keep going. We're, absolutely. Uh, next time's double digits, man. Yeah. All right. Thanks folks. Good night. Good night, Paul. Good night.